this morning. We uh, want to quieten our hearts. We want to come before you, Lord, uh, knowing that you are God who speaks. And I pray that even this morning uh, that you will speak to our hearts. You will speak to us. Uh, open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. Alright, so the Bible, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, with uh, how the Bible is written. The Bible is actually one story. The Bible is not a collection of stories. The Bible is not different things that are happening. Of course, it's historically kind of recorded over a period of time with different authors. Uh, but the Bible is basically one story. And you begin the story at Genesis chapter 1. It talks about the beginning of all things. Genesis means beginning. Uh, it talks about how the world began, how God created the world good and perfect, right? And then in chapter 2 and chapter 3, we see what happened. It kind of explains what really happened, what the mess around us, some of the things that we see around us. Uh, the Bible begins to uh, talk about how man disobeyed and rebelled against God, and that's one of the reasons why it resulted in chaos and the mess that we see around us. And from that point, the rest of the Bible is basically this, this uh, theme of how God is bringing about the salvation of people. God is bringing about redemption of people, right? So chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and the rest of scripture is basically about one story, how God is bringing about this redemption all across history and culture and time. So we're in chapter 4 this morning, uh, even as we go through the story. Uh, chapter 4, we, uh, we've uh, probably, if you are familiar with uh, this uh, passage, it's about Abel and Cain. Uh, these are two sons from Adam and Eve. Uh, and uh, we're just going to quickly look at the, the offering they are placing because we've, uh, uh, we're have we going to do that and we're going to move into uh, something different uh, this morning based on the passage. But I want to quickly address what's happened, right? And a lot of times, and growing up, and I always had this fear every time I read this passage. I'm like, oh man, Abel, Abel's sacrifice, Abel's offering was accepted. Cain was not accepted. Uh, and then we, we have all these things told to us, right? Maybe we, we have this thing that, Maybe Cain's attitude was wrong, right? Hey, you better have a good attitude when you come before God, right? So I'm always like, oh man, what is this attitude? I gotta have this attitude, oh God, right? So we are sometimes scared of these things, right? Uh, and uh, sometimes it's being told, maybe it's the quality of the offering. That's why it was rejected. Maybe uh, uh, Abel brought, it says he brought the fat portions, which means he brought the best of his offering. And maybe Cain didn't bring the best of the offering, right? Uh, so so it's, all, it's been told to me, right? You better bring the best to God, otherwise, right? <laughs> you better bring the best. What is your best? Bring the best, right? So we're always like, what is the best? What is the best, right? Uh, so we always grow up with these kinds of things. Or maybe, maybe some people think maybe uh, animal sacrifice was what was intended, uh, and that's why Abel's was uh, Abel's was accepted. Cain brought some uh, fruit salad and stuff, so it wasn't accepted. Uh, <laughs> So we, we think of all these things, right? But, uh, but the, the text is not clear. The text doesn't talk about the quality of the offering. The text doesn't talk about the, uh, whether it's animal sacrifice or not. No, the text doesn't talk about the attitude. It doesn't talk about all these things. So, so it's kind of vague, right? We don't understand what's happening. But when we go to the New Testament, there is a kind of a smaller clue to what's happening, right? Uh, and the passage is not with you, but I'm going to read it. Verse 11 is the context of faith, right? Uh, faith and salvation and in Hebrews 11 uh, chapter chapter 11 verse 4 uh, the writer of Hebrews gives a clue into what's happening right he says by faith Abel 
offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. By faith, that's the key, right? In some sense, Abel is offering something by faith. Cain is not offering something by faith. Okay, that's the basic thing, right? It's not about the offering. Both offerings are valid. If you think about it, uh, the Abel is works with the flocks and animals and he brings an offering from that. Cain is working with the fruits and trees and he's a farmer. He's bringing an offering from that. So there's nothing wrong with the offering, right? There's something about the way they offer. So Hebrews says, one offered with faith, the other one did not offer with faith. Now, what does this mean? What does this mean when we say we offer it with faith? Okay, in chapter 3, we, we talked about it last week, Rajesh was talking about it. God promises a savior, right? He, he pronounces judgment upon the sin that happened. But God says one day a savior will come. One day somebody will come and he will redeem, right? Uh, at that point, they had no idea how this is going to happen, how the savior is going to happen. But in that limited sense, they understood God is going to bring somebody to save us from our sins. So in a sense, Abel offers to God by faith based on what he is about to do. Okay? But in a very different sense, even in a limited view, Abel is able to trust God in his provision of salvation and redemption. He's offering something to God based on a response to what God is going to do. Right? But in a very limited sense, Cain, he is bringing his things before God. And he's saying, here is all the stuff that I've done. Right? This, is, this is all the best that I've brought. And this is for you. In a sense, he is coming using the things as a means for his own salvation. So one person is doing an offering and worship in response to what God is doing by faith. The other person is bringing things as a means for their own salvation. Okay? So this is kind of a broad way of understanding. Our good works is a response to his salvation. Our good works is not a means to our salvation. We are not saved on the basis of our good works. It is a response to this beautiful salvation as a gift we receive by faith. Okay? So that's what's happening. It's a response versus means. And again, even as we think about this, and this is not the main idea for this passage today, but even as we think about this, we've got to constantly know our hearts. We've got to understand our hearts. And one of the best ways right, we know if our hearts is motivated, if we are using some of these things as a means to come to God, or is it a response before God? Right? One of the things is how we deal with money. Here it's in the context of offering. Right? Again, how we deal with money. Right? Is money something that controls me? Every time I give before God, every time I come before God, is, the, is money controlling me? Am I, am I, or am I using money to glorify God? Right? It's, it's, very, it's very subtle. Right? Uh, how do we serve? Am I using my service as a means to come before God? Saying this is how much I've done for you? Or is it a beautiful response to the salvation that God has accomplished for us by grace? Okay. How we worship. So God constantly in scripture, even from this passage, right? Even at the beginning, God constantly invites his people to come and worship him, right? Not on the basis of what we do for him, but on the basis of what Christ has done for us. So, so, the, so this is happening. The offering is rejected. Let's see what happens after that. Verse 5. Okay, verse 5. Uh, Cain, Cain's offering is rejected. Verse 5, it says, But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Right? God uh, rejected that. Uh, so Cain was angry, very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, 
Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? Verse 7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. This morning, we're going to talk about the deadliness of sin. Okay, we're going to talk about the deadliness uh, of sin. We're going to look at three things. Firstly, the nature of sin. We're going to talk about the grace of God and hope for mankind. So firstly, we're going to look at nature, nature of sin. What is this sin, right? Sin is deadly. Verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if, you're not, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Okay, we're going to camp on this for a little while. The language here that is used to describe sin is that of a predatory animal. Okay, I don't know if you've seen uh, crouching tiger, hidden dragon and all this stuff. <laughs> it's very similar to that, right? Uh, it's a predatory animal that's, that's crouching. You know what crouching is? You've seen a cat. Uh, uh, how, many of you, how many of you have cats at home? Some of you have cats, right? Or you've seen it in far away. I don't like that. So far away, right? When a cat sees a bird, like a pigeon sitting in the in the window or somewhere, right? Immediately the, the cat crouches. Suddenly the cat cat is invisible, right? You don't know where the cat is. It's gone. It's where's the cat? It's crouching, slowly moving, right? Because it sees the prey. Sin is something like that. Sin crouches. Sin is hidden. Right? It's, it's like a tiger, right? You've, maybe you've seen Animal Planet and all these things. And the, when the deer is there and there's all these beautiful fields, golden fields, tiger is looking. The moment it spots the deer, tiger is gone. Right? You don't know where the tiger is. It's crouching, slowly moving. Right? That's kind of the image. It kind of lurks in the shadow. And it's not just sitting there. It is, it is waiting for its chance to pounce. It is ready to go after its prey. It's ready to take over. Okay? That's why sin is deadly. It's not just in the corner. You can't say sin is just in the corner, right? Uh, Pastor, but it's in the corner. It's just sitting there, right? It's just crouching in the corner. It's never in the corner. If it's crouching, it's coming after you. Okay? It kills and it destroys slowly but surely. It takes over our entire life. And this is why Paul, in the New Testament commands, he says in Colossians 3, 5, he says, put to death. Put to death. He is using a strong word. He's not saying manage sin. He's not saying try and handle it as long as people don't find it, it's okay. He's not saying that. He's saying put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. And again, he repeats in Romans 8.30, he says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. This idea is, is, is like a, it's like a tumor. You go to the doctor and, and, some, and the doctor says, You have a tumor in your body that needs to be fixed. You're not going to be like, Okay, let me try and do this sometime later. Right? It's okay, I'll just manage the tumor. You're not going to do it. You're going to get rid of the tumor. Right? Because it can be cancerous. It can lead you to death. You're going to fix it. You're going to fix an appointment. You're going to go. You're going to operate yourself. You're going to do everything you can to get rid of the tumor. The idea is you've got you to deal with sin. You've got to get rid of sin. 
because it's deadly. Right? It, it hides like a crouching tiger that goes after its prey. It's not, when we sin, it's not like some action, right? It's almost like a presence. It's there. It's there ready to take over. It's there in our lives. And sin is also very subtle, right? In our context, in today's culture and stuff, uh, we don't like to talk about sin. Who who talks about sin? Only the pastor talks about sin. Nobody else wants to talk about sin. Sin is like, what what is sin? What what is sin? You don't use sin in your work. You don't use sin in the shops. You don't use sin. Sin is this, that itself is, is a beautiful understanding how sin is crouching. You see what I'm saying? We don't want to talk about sin. We don't want to take it seriously, right? Even intellectually, we don't want to. We don't want to discuss sin. We feel like it's nothing, right? That itself shows that sin is crouching. If I if I know sin is there, if I know a tiger is outside the door, I'm going to try at least go and escape, right? But if I don't know it's there, if it's crouching and it's it's hidden, it's beyond my sight. I'm, it is not visible to me. Oh my friend, there's no chance I'm going to make it alive. Even this morning, as we move along, I'm going to ask you, right? do you, do you see these crouching sins in your life? Are you able to see them? Are you aware of some of these things in your life that's, that's crouching, that's hidden, but it's ready to pounce on you? you got to take time to deal with these and think about this. How, how does sin crouch? How does sin hide? How, how does it happen? How does it do, right? Most of the times in our language, when we talk about sin hiding, the way it comes out is we don't take sin seriously. Do you think that's what it is? We don't take it seriously. That's one way it hides. Oh, this is nothing, right? This is this is okay. This is uh, this I can manage. Uh, this is not too bad. It's just a small thing. Uh, th- this is it's no big deal, right? So that's one way sin crouches, sin hides. We don't want to admit it, right? We feel like it's not a problem, but it is a problem. There's nothing called a small sin. We feel like it's a small sin because it's crouching. You see what I'm saying? It's hiding. That's why we think it's all small, but there's nothing like a small sin. Let me give you a couple of examples, right? To help us think about this, right? Just a couple of examples. One, the first one, uh, maybe, maybe you're dealing with some kind of a hurt. Maybe you're dealing with some kind of a pain. Maybe you're dealing with some kind of a grudge, Okay, the grudge could be against uh, your friends or your, the grudge could be against a family member. The grudge, the grudge could be against your spouse, whatever it is, right? And if I want to tell you, hey, this is, this is ruining your life. This is going to take over your life, right? You'll be like, no, 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 no. This is, it's under control. It's under control. No problem, right? Uh, it's, it's not that bad. Actually, it's not my fault. You know what they did to me? Right? You know, you know what? You know what they did to me? You know, you know the pain I'm going through? You know, you know what happened? Right? So this is some of the responses that we do, right? It seems small. But my friend, if I don't deal with something like grudge, which is a sin in me, if I don't deal with it, it is going to take over my life. It's going to poison the well of my heart soon, but sure. You see what I'm saying? You can't, it's going to make us feel bitter. It's going to make us feel superior to the other person. We feel like we are better than the other person. It's going to rob us of our joy and peace. We're going to be irritable. We're going to be judgmental. 
and, and it's going to spread to, it's going to generalize, right? For example, if, if, if you're a woman and if you've had a, a tough relationship or a bad experience with a man, uh, and, and, and if you've not dealt with that, you, you can view every, all men as the same. If you're a man and if you've been uh, dealt badly because of a relationship with a woman uh, and you've not dealt with it, you can say all women are like this. It has the capacity to just generalize. Maybe you you had a bad experience with somebody from another culture and you've not dealt with that. You'll be like that whole culture is bad. Right? You, have, you have anger and bitterness towards that whole culture, towards that whole gender. Let's think of another one. Fantasizing. Right? We, we fantasize about a lot of things. In this day and age, I'm telling you, we can fantasize. We can just open one Instagram or we can just open Amazon and just, ah, oh, look at all these things. We can open Zomato and look at all those pictures of food. You can, you can do all these things, right? Just, just, just think, just dream, just think about all these things, right? Fantasy could be about anything. Fantasy could be sexual nature. Right? Fantasy could be about looks. Right? It could be about looks. It could be about material things. It could be about career success. It could be about future. It could be about your present circumstance. Oh, I wish this worked out this way and how I could live like this or what if this turns out like this. And Oh, we can just live in that fantasy. Just thinking and dreaming. And you know how that sin crouches in your life? Because you will be like, Anjit, what, what's wrong with that? What's wrong in thinking about success? Right? What, what's wrong in just thinking about uh, how to do something well, how to be successful in life, or what's, what's wrong? In, and that's the way sin crouches. Right? And if I'm fantasizing, and if I'm just thinking about these things, my friend, if I'm not careful, and I'm not dealing with it, that can quickly move into self-pity, for example. When it moves into self-pity, you know, you're not grateful for what's happening in your life right now. You're always thinking about the future. You're always thinking about what you don't have and what others have. You're not grateful about what you have in your life. It slowly poisons your heart. It slowly poisons your life. We always become grumpy. We become irritable again. Or we might be driven. We want this so bad. We are so driven because we want that. We may not be satisfied. We may become addicted to things. It poisons us. It poisons how we look at ourselves. It poisons how we look at other people. It poisons how we look at God and circumstances. You see the deadliness of sin? It's deadly. Sin is deadly. Sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is to have you. Its desire is not contrary to you. Its desire is not to to help you and to help you live well. No, its desire is to kill you. Its desire is to snuff you out. So my friends, even this morning as we, as much as it's, 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 a, it's a difficult thing to process, but, but you, you cannot ignore sin. As much as we love the grace of God, you cannot ignore your sin. 
It's ready to pounce on us. And it could be in any form. It could be in the form of ambition. It could be in the form of work. It could be in the form of money. It could be in the form of status. It could be in the form of looks and diet and career and relationships. It could be in any form lurking in the shadows. So the nature of sin is that sin is crouching and it's desirous to have. Okay, All right, let's move on. Secondly, it is in this context that Cain and God tells Cain, in this context we see the grace of God. We see the tremendous grace of God. Okay, we see this in verse 6. Look at verse 6. Uh, the Lord said to Cain, he says, why are you angry? Right? Now he, in, somehow in my mind, I, I was under the impression God came to Cain after he committed the, the sin. Okay? But he, he, God actually comes to him even before that. Right? In verse 6, he says, the Lord comes to Cain. The moment Cain is a uh, little dejected, he, he feels a little upset, God comes to him. He says, hey Cain, why are you angry? What's happening? What's happening in your heart? Why has your face fallen? Why are you depressed? He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you not do well, sin is crouching at the door. There's a warning right there. Hey, sin is crouching. Its desire is, to, is contrary to, but you must rule over it. He comes and he, and he, in a gracious, in a tender way, God comes and asks questions. Right? He, he is not, God doesn't come and he says, I know what you're planning to do. You follow Simply bringing fruits to me, you, I know what you're doing. He's not coming like that. Like he, he's not coming and pouncing on, or he's like, how dare you question who? I decide what gift I need to take. How dare you question me? Right? He doesn't come like that. God, in a beautiful, gentle, tender way, in a gracious way, comes to him. He says, hey, what's happening? What's happening? Right? Verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. When they were in the field, Cain rose up, in a, rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, and God comes to Cain again, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. You see, sin takes it. Drastic turn. In chapter 3, it was just blaming and they were eating one fruit and all these things were going on. It's a drastic turn. Right? Abel uh, is murdered by his own brother because he was so angry. And when God comes and is asking him, what have you done? He is not looking for information. Right? He, is not, he knows what Cain has done. When God comes and asks us, when God is dealing with us, he is not looking for justification. He is not looking for information. Now tell me, what all did you do? Right? That's not what he is looking for. But God is coming to Cain because God wants Cain to understand his own heart. God wants him to process this. He wants him to understand what's going on in his heart. And again, God comes with just tenderness and compassion. And I love it. God is almost like a counselor. Right? When you go to a counselor, they are drawing things from you. They're asking questions and they want you to process things in your heart. And they're drawing out things from you. And in a beautiful way, God is asking Cain questions to draw things out to help him understand his own heart. That's why he is called the wonderful counselor. So we, we see even the midst of sin, even the midst of just just terrible brokenness and wickedness and anger. 
we see the gentleness and the grace of God. And my friend, even this morning, as much as we are dealing with our own struggles and our own sin, I want you to understand God is gracious. He is not this cosmic policeman. And he is not, he's not that way. And sometimes we have a view of God like that. We feel like he's always watching me. That is not the view of God. That is not what scripture says. God is but gently inviting you to deal with some of these things. So we see the grace of God. We see the, uh, the, the nature of sin, which is deadly. It's crouching. We see the grace of God. Lastly, we see hope for mankind. We see hope for mankind. Maybe even this morning, you're struggling with some of these things. Right? Maybe you're struggling with, oh, maybe you're struggling with sin and you feel like this is not going. Maybe you feel like you're struggling with things and you keep falling again and again. Maybe this morning you're wondering, how do I deal with secret sins? How do I deal with things that I feel I'm powerless? Like, what, what, is, what is the hope for me? I understand. Oh, I understand this. Right? But what is the hope for me? Maybe even this morning you're filled with shame and guilt. You feel like, oh man, I've just messed up. I don't know how to get out of this. This is where we see the gospel shine in this passage. In verse 10, verse 10, the Lord said, he's asking Cain, what have you done? And a very interesting thing he says, he says, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. His innocent blood is crying for justice. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. So the question is, how, how is God going to pay for this innocent blood? How is God going to deal with this injustice? For Abel. How is God going to deal with even Abel's sin? Abel is not perfect. How is God going to deal with Abel's sin? How is God going to deal with the injustice between people, but not just between people? How is God going to deal with the injustice against himself? Every sin we do is ultimately committed against God. Who's going to pay for that injustice? And we think we can just say sorry, right? And sometimes... We think, why can't God just forgive everybody? Why can't just God just write in the clouds and say, everybody's forgiven? Why can't we just do stuff like that? No, there is no justice. What about justice? Well, if he just writes us in the clouds, it doesn't mean justice is done. How is God going to be both loving and just? And that's where we begin to understand the gospel. And even in chapter 3, we see how God promises a savior. And one day there was another man, years later, there's another man who's going to come and who did come. And he was very similar to Abel in some ways. His offering before God was accepted. Like he was called beloved. God called him, you're my beloved son. But people hated him and they crucified him and they murdered him. And his blood is crying. His blood, Jesus' blood is also crying out. We see this in Hebrews 12.24. Right? Hebrews 12.24, it says, And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So in a sense, Abel's blood is also crying out for justice. In a different sense, Jesus' blood is also crying out for justice. But in a very different way. It is not the same way as the first Abel or oh, the second Abel. His blood is crying in a very different way. What's the difference? The, the, for Abel, his, his blood is crying justice for himself. 
Jesus' blood, his blood is crying for justice, not against us because we've done something against him. Jesus' blood is crying for justice for us. His blood is not crying against us. His blood is crying for us. And that is where the, you see the beautiful picture of the gospel. And I want us to help us understand this. How was Jesus' blood crying for justice? How, how, is, how is that different from Abel? Jesus' blood was also innocent. But how is his blood crying differently than Abel's blood? The difference is it is not crying against us, but it is crying for us. There's another verse in 1 John 2, 1. 1 John 2, 1, it says, we have an advocate with the Father. Right? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The image is that God is judge and we have this we have Jesus Christ as an advocate for each one of us. When we put our faith and trust in him, he is the advocate for us. You know what an advocate is? What does an advocate do? What does he do? He speaks for us when in front of the judge. He's, he's like, he defends, defends us, right? That's the, that's the role of the advocate. He's going to talk to the judge on behalf of us, right? Jesus pleads our case before the Father, that's the, that's the image, right? He is our advocate before the Father, before the judge. But this is the image we have in mind. When we think of Jesus as an advocate for us, when I think of Jesus as an advocate for me, right? Every time I sin and I, and I get angry, I do something, Jesus, Jesus goes and tells the Father, right? He's the advocate. He's like, okay, uh, runs with this. Uh, runs with this. Hey, Father, please, you forgive him, right? <laughs> he will love you. <laughs> and then two weeks later again Ranjit is sin. <laughs> again Jesus is like Father why are you here Father is like why are you here he's like oh, again Ranjit is sin. <laughs> again and again Jesus is going to the Father Ranjit is sin. Ranjit is at some point I'm thinking this advocate is getting upset with me right? like, how many times Jesus has to go to the Father and beg for me the image I have of an advocate that Jesus is begging for me. Please give him one chance. One more chance, Father, please. One more chance. He is an idiot. Please give him, <laughs> give him one more chance. One more. Just one more. I will take care of him. We'll make sure he's not sinning. Right? This is the image we have. And this is why we are ashamed of coming to Jesus when we sin again and again. Are you with me? This is why we don't. We want to run away from him. Why? Because... We think, oh my gosh, I'm putting Jesus that he needs to beg for me. No, my friend, that is not what's happening, right? In 1 John 1, 9, we, just in the previous verse, right, in, that, uh, uh, in the first chapter of 1 John, 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sin, and some of you know this verse, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and what? Just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. It doesn't say he is faithful and merciful to, to forgive our sins. It says he is faithful and just. Why not faithful and merciful? Why is he using the word just? Why is God faithful and just to forgive our sins? And this is where again we see the beauty of the gospel. Jesus as an advocate in front of the judge, in front of the father, is not pleading for your mercy. He is demanding justice for you. It is a different picture. You've got to understand the gospel. It is a totally different picture. 
Jesus, when he stands before God the Father and he is pleading for my sin, he is saying, yes, Ranjit has sinned. Yes, he is going to sin again. He is terrible. But I demand justice on his behalf. And he's saying, this is justice because I have paid for the sin with my precious blood. So you cannot count the sin on him again. If you're going to ask a penalty from him again, it is, it is asking two payments for the same sin. So Jesus is standing there in confidence and he's saying, I have paid for his sin. I demand justice. And God is fully satisfied with what Jesus has done. My friend, this is the gospel. This is the gospel that we believe. Jesus says, Father, I, I demand justice for my child. I want you to embrace him. I want you to cleanse him. I want you to open his eyes so he can see the sins in his life. I want you to lead him. I want you to change him. And in a beautiful way, God does that. My friends, are you able to see what Jesus has done for you? Are you able to see what he has accomplished for you? Jesus died for the kings of this world. You and I are like Cain. Jesus died for the kings of this world and for the abels of this world. Jesus died for everybody. Jesus was the true and ultimate able. And when I see this, when I see what Jesus has done, when this moves me to tears, when I accept what Jesus has done for me, when I come before him, I don't bring my good things and all the things I've accomplished as the basis of my salvation. I come and I fully trust in what God has done through Jesus for me. And I say, Lord, I accept you. When this sacrifice of Jesus, what he has done, when it moves me, my friend, that is, the, that is when I can change from being king. So our response to God is based on what he has done for us. And my friend, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of the darkness, God is extremely gracious. He has provided a way for you through Jesus. He has given you the master advocate who will never deny you. He has paid the price with his own precious blood and he pleads for justice on your behalf. Even this morning, if, if you've not really understood this, if you've not accepted what Jesus has done, would you accept, even in, the, even in your own simplicity of your mind, think of Abel. Abel didn't understand all the concepts. But even in that simplicity of your faith, would you say, Lord Jesus, I accept what you've done for me. I, I accept, I, for, I, I, I ask for forgiveness. I, I am Cain. I am the sinful person. I, I am broken. And I cannot plead my case before the judge. I trust in what you have done. Would you do that this morning? And even as we do that, and my friends, I want to place three things before you, just quick, practical ways. And if you're struggling, and of course we come to Jesus and we understand what he has done, but in response to what he has done, we can put certain things in place in our lives to help us deal with sin, right? To help us deal with some of the things that we struggle with. Firstly, firstly, I want you to know that sin hides the first thing I want you to know in your mind, I want you to know that sin has the capacity to hide. Okay? Sin hides. Sin is crouching. Sin is not visible for us. If it's visible for all of us, we would be aware of it, right? A lot of times sin is not visible. It is hiding. And that's why the psalmist says in 19, Psalm 19, 12, he says, cleanse me from my hidden faults. 
Cleanse me from my hidden sins. Jeremiah 17, 9. It says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I want you in a very, in a very general sense, I want you to understand this about your heart. You know that sin is always hiding. Sin is always lurking in the shadows. It's always ready to pounce on you. Know that. Realize that. Admit that. Don't take it lightly. Understand the deadliness of sin. Don't let it sit in a corner. Don't just say it's in a corner. It's not in a corner. It's in a corner because it's ready to pounce. There's nothing called small sin. It's always bigger. It's, it's always It's much bigger than you think it is. So firstly, have that understanding. Have that humility to understand that. Secondly, be honest in communion with others. Be honest. Be honest when we come together in community. God gives us gospel community. The reason why we, we encourage you to meet with people and to, and to discuss and to grow together in smaller groups. Right? And we always say spiritual growth happens in this place, not in rows, but in circles. Right? And this is a wonderful corporate way of coming and learning together, but we want you to grow deeper. And that happens in circles when you meet in homes or when you meet with people separately where you can actually talk about some of these struggles. This is a place where Oh, you, you hear what's happening, but there should be another place in your life where you're also sharing what's happening in your heart. You're letting people inside what's happening in your heart. Gospel community. God gives us community. God gives us friendships to help us become sanctified, to change us and to free us. It is God's gracious gift for you. Right? Let people into your life. Let, allow them to speak truth into your life. Allow them to be honest about your life. Be immersed in community so that over, over a period of time, people can actually see some of your faults and actually they can help you. You see what I'm saying? That's the way we change. That's the way we change. Be honest and ask and repent of sin. There is no shame in this. Oh my friend, there's no shame. Every time we meet, we meet in a group and we talk about, we, I talk about my things and we all talk about what we struggle with. And that's where we begin to allow people to see who we really are and we begin to change in those areas. People come alongside us and there is no shame here. Right? And thirdly, know, know that sin hides. Be honest in community. Thirdly, assume there is truth to criticism. Okay? Usually, this is how I work. You criticize me, you are, that's not, no truth. Right? Absolutely not. I don't, he doesn't know what he's saying, right? I, I know what I'm doing, right? Or the other way, some people are, oh, that's it. Your life is over when criticism comes, right? So you've got to deal with criticism in, a, in a, the right way. Not everything, not the whole thing is probably not true. Not, the whole thing is probably not false. There is obviously something about that is true, right? So always have that posture, Always assume that posture. When somebody criticizes you, when somebody gives you an input, a feedback or something, don't dismiss it. Or don't become paralyzed by it. But hey, take the truth. Don't dismiss. Don't lash out. Don't defend yourself. Sit down. Ask for feedback. Ask for what they're saying. Listen to what's happening. Be honest about it. Introspect in your own life. Okay, well, if this is what the, the case is, what, what's really happening? Why am I behaving the way I'm behaving? My friend, that's how we change. Right? That's how we change. And usually this is what happens, right? Things are crouching in my life. You know, I, 
There's a reason why it's crouching from my eyes. I don't, I'm not able to see it. But guess what? Everybody else might be able to see it. You see what I'm saying? There's a chance that others are able to quickly, able to see what is wrong with your life. And when those things surface, don't dismiss it. Don't get angry about it. But invite and say, hey, maybe there's some truth to it. Let me, let me think about this. Let me process this. Invite people into your life and say, hey, this is what, this is what's happening in my life. How can I? How can I deal with this? Come to God and say, Lord, this is who I am. Don't say, Ranjit is telling me about like this. Don't, don't say that. Say, Lord, this is, this is me. This is who I am. Help me. Help me deal with this. Right? We assume a posture of humility and learning. And that's how we deal with sin in a practical way. But we do all these things not as a means of our salvation. These steps are not going to save you. Are you with me? What is going to save you? Jesus the advocate. He is the one who saves you. But it is an hour of response to the beautiful thing he has done. I put these things in place to follow. And this morning we're going to participate in the communion. We're going to uh, break bread and we're going to pass a cup that signifies what Jesus has done for us. And again, as we hold the bread and the cup in our hands, I want you to be reminded of who Jesus is for you. If you believe in your heart, in your heart, if you have come to a place where you feel, Ranjit, I understand. I, I cannot defend myself. I cannot save myself. I need Jesus to save me. I understand that. Tomorrow when I stand before God, I cannot show my good works. I cannot show all these things and that's going to make a difference. No, I know who I am. I'm a wretched sinner. And you come before Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I, I ask for forgiveness. Please cleanse me. I I depend on you to save me. You are my savior. I am not my savior. I cannot save myself. And my friend, if you have come to a point of deciding that, if you say, this is reality for me, Jesus is my advocate. As we pass this, this is a celebration of that decision. Every time we do this, this is an open confession of what we actually believe. Right? That's what this signifies. But if, you've not, if you are not in a position that you've really come to that journey, just pass the elements to the next person. You will not offend us. You, there's nothing magical about this. There's more snacks outside, so don't worry about it. You will not offend anybody. Right? Sometimes when we come to a setting like this, we feel like people will get upset if I pass it. Nobody is going to have to get upset. This, is, this has to be a reality. Otherwise, there's no meaning. This has to be an inward reality for you. Right? So if you've come to that point, hey, you worship God as you hold the elements and say, Lord, thank you because I trust you for my salvation. Right? In a moment, we're going to sing the song. I want you to pick it up. Uh, if this is reality for you. And if you if you believe in this, uh, pick it up, keep it. We're going to come back and we're going to eat of it together. Okay. So I request the worship team to come. Let's just pray. Father, even this morning, Father, we, we, we want to come before you. Lord, in the, in the reality, of who we are. We cannot hide from you. We cannot pretend as though everything is fine. You know our hearts. And even this morning, just as much this, our sins are so real and our sins make us ashamed and guilty, we hear your voice of grace and tenderness. We hear you. We hear your words of gentleness. We hear your words of compassion. We hear your words of grace. And I pray that even this morning, our hearts will respond to that. Our hearts will understand who you are. We will understand your heart. 
And Father, even as we as you invite us to know you, I pray, Lord, that we will we will completely depend on what Jesus has done for us. We thank you this morning. You're inviting all the kings of this world to come and dine with you, to be part of this great feast. And we've not earned this feast. We don't come at this table because we have done something. We come purely on the basis of what Jesus has done for us. I thank you because we have an advocate who is pleading for our justice, who's not begging for us. Lord, what an image. We thank you in Jesus' name.